Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Academy, announcing the 24th of our Italian Wine Ambassador courses to be held in London, Austria, and Hong Kong from the 27th to the 29th of July. Are you up for the challenge of this demanding course? Do you want to be the next Italian Wine Ambassador? Learn more and apply now at vinitaliinternational.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Hello, my name is Stevie Kim, and this is, of course, the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. Did you guys know that this Ambassador's Corner series is one of the most popular episodes listened to on Italian Wine Podcast? Because it does get replayed. So, Ellen, you it's, it's so shocking because, like, last month, May, I just ran through the stats. We had more than, like, 320,000 listens just on SoundCloud. It's it's absolutely mind-boggling because we we, we started with 22, 23,000 listens the entire year of 2017. So it's come a really long way and it's also thanks to you guys because I, I was like in the beginning, you know, um, because Monty, as you know, Monty used to do it for like 15-minute interviews because we thought people would just get really bored really quickly. And then we said, it's such a shame. We, um, the ambassadors do a, such an excellent job and they dedicate time and energy into this. So we said, why don't we replay it on the podcast? And some of them are really incredibly popular, like Jill and um, also Cynthia's episode. It got more than 6,000 listens. And a lot of you actually also, Fermented Boss, actually you, yours with Ariane Occupinti, that, that's one of the popular ones as well. So really appreciate the love and the um the dedication and the commitment from the italian wine ambassador community so i just wanted to thank you all for that now on to the show today we have my travel buddy ellen ellen and i i'm gonna uh, butcher your name again jacob maya maya jacob's maya we could we could say jacob's maya Jacob's Maya. Or Jakob's Maya. Jakob's Maya. What's the deal with that? Where is that coming from, your last name? It's a, it's a German last name. Oh, it's... Said that. The story for another travel adventure, Stevie. Okay. So, Ellen is from Canada, from Toronto, and um, but now she's in Sunset, as she's just said. She's working with another ambassador friend of ours, um, Fanny. C'est génial, Fanny. Um, genuine wines, and I guess you can tell us a little bit about that afterwards. Uh, she started traveling, and now and then made some wine, McLaren Vale, and then Marlboro. What kind of wine did you make? I guess like mostly Sauvignon Blanc. And, yeah, I you know. did so much Sauvignon Blanc in New Zealand, and the irony is, ten years later, I now live in. Sancerre. I know, but different, right? Absolutely, Sancerre's. Like conversation it, for another day, but definitely nothing. <laughs> we had a with the one. We'll we'll need a lot of other day conversations. So, of course, you know I know Ellen because she's from our uh, Via community. She came with us and um, to Sardinia. Oh my God, that was so so much fun. And we were you were doing the recap of like the second or the third day and. Of course, you fell off a chair because we had this like a little, like a setting outside of this um, very, very law in, in the middle of nowhere, like bumfuck Sardinia. <laughs> and so we took a chair, put it on a little grass, patch of grass. And of course, you fell over. I was laughing so hard. And then I fell over. And um, no one got that on, on tape. 
luckily. But you guys should check that out. It's one of the Sardinia Via Agita Scholastica series from Sardinia. If you go on the Mama Jumbo Shrimp channel on YouTube, you can um, have a look. It, we had a wonderful, wonderful time. So uh, I still remember that. Those were, that was one of my um, most memorable uh, moments of the entire trip. So now it says here that you're enrolled in diploma program. When did you do that? Yeah. I've been enrolled for a long time, Stevie. I'm one of those. Um, that's going to be like me. Years. It's going to yeah. be us. I, I started like a couple of, couple of summers ago, but then, of course, you know, I did two exams. I mean, life happens, and I decided to do my master's in wine business in Dijon instead right. of like any school business. Really but how, you finished that, right? I did. I, Congratulations. I, I got my master's, yeah. And because of COVID, my graduation was delayed. So. Anyways, just had that last year. Okay, congratulations. So listen, um, let's on to the show. Your guest is Chiara Inocentic from Tunia. Why did you choose uh, uh, Chiara as your uh, producer to be interviewed today? So Chiara Inocenti and her business partner uh, is the winemaker, Francesca Di Benedetto. So I really love um, very strong uh, women who work in wine business. Uh, yourself included, and um, they own in Rantunia. So they started this minimal intervention, organic wine, so about 15 years ago. Um, it's at the bottom of the medieval village of Civitella in Valdecchiana, so it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, a lot of rural fields, a lot of fruit trees, a lot of grassy fields. It's still rather rustic, rather agricultural. Um, but those who know me know I'm obsessed with skin contact and orange wines. And I really admire what they do. They work with the native grapes and they work with um, finding new ways of making these wines interesting. They're sparkling, they're macerations, and of course, they're classic Sangiovese. Now, how did you meet um, Chiara? Where, when, where and how did you meet her? Oh, it was Fanny, of course. So Fanny, yes. she <laughs> brought me It's the Fanny Mafia. A fanny Italian mafia, yeah. So she yeah. brought me to a Vin Nature wine fair, Vini de Vinaioli in Paris. And mm -hmm. um, I saw Giulio, of course, um, Giulio Armani, who's the owner of Danavolo, another very famous skin maceration orange winemaker. And he's a long term mm -hmm. winemaker from La Stoppa. And they're like, you have to meet Chiara. Is he still the winemaker for La Stoppa? Absolutely. Yeah, I think okay. Yeah. So, you and know, um, his 40th vintage now, 40 years. Oh, crazy. wow. Mm. They make great wines. Everyone loves their wines. So listen, you know, the whole spiel here is that we have to talk about learning objectives because it does ha try to bring some educational value. So what are the learning objectives um, from today? I really want to talk about making um, basically wines and minimal intervention vin nature style in a variety of styles. So we're talking about sparkling, skin maceration, we're talking about still, um, we're also talking about kind of the winemaking world of Civitella and Valdecchiana. I don't think many people are very familiar about it. So yeah, that's kind of the objectives in a high level for today. Okay, great. So listen, um, Ellen, I'm going to leave the mic with you and shut up which is it rarely happens as you know so i will mute myself and then perhaps come back if there's any time for a q a okay ciao ciao ellen ciao chiara ciao chiara ciao i'm gonna uh, do a little introduction and uh then we'll start the questions for you today so Tunia Winery um, is a partnership between uh, two women. So as I mentioned earlier, the winemaker Francesca Di Benetetto and the estate manager Chiara Inocenti, who is joining us today. Chiara is the brain of the business in the sense that she has an economics degree and she's in charge of the commercial side. Um, before Chiara threw her body and soul and brain into this venture, she used to work in Milan in the banking world. She was a banker. So leaving the banking business and the corporate world, um, she really represented a dream come true. She gave up everything to go and live in the countryside. And she admits that actually her work has not changed too much. She spends hours in front of the computer trying to get the figures to work out. Telephone's ringing. I'm calling her. <laughs> of course, calculating the numbers and the planning for vintages. 
but she affirms there's nothing really quite as rewarding as, of course, committing yourself to the production of your own wines and your own product. So let's begin, Kiara. Um, thank okay, you so I'm ready. much for agreeing to joining me today and to speak with me. I'm, I'm really happy to have you here. So I'll start off with uh, kind of your first question and let's talk about, um, you know, you were a banking woman in Milan. So why did you leave the big city, you and, and Francesca, to move to Tuscany? And why Civitella? Okay, uh, we have to say that uh, me and Francesca meet 25 years ago uh, in Pisa. And then for about uh, 10 years after our degrees, uh, start to work in a different region because I was in Milan and Francesca was in Sardinia. Uh, after 10 years, we decided to do something by ourselves. So we don't, we didn't know, we didn't want to work for others anymore. And so we decided to come back in Tuscany, uh, where our family live. Uh, and um, we start searching for uh, a vineyard. Uh, for a lot of people, this is uh, quite a dream, but I have to say that is uh, less romantic uh, that uh, uh, than it could uh, it, it could look. Because, uh, as you said, I spend a lot of my time in the in front of the computer in order to make the business go on in some way. But uh, we chose Tuscany, first of all, because uh, uh, we want to be near to our family and uh, because Tuscany is quite an icon of the wine in, um, in Italy. The problem is that in Tuscany there is not uh, uh, vineyards big enough to make a real business. Uh, but uh, we were lucky because uh, when we, we were searching for uh, this vineyard, the Florence University decided to sell a big properties, about uh, 300 hectares of uh, a big farm. And we decided to bought a part of this big farm, uh, more or less 15 hectares of vineyard and about uh, 500 olive trees. Wow. So, in this way, Tunia starts. Now, what's the history of that planting? I understood that there were some nuns involved because... Yeah, because uh, before Florence University, um, the property of this uh, very big farm was uh, of the some rich nuns from Florence. But uh, also in the past, this was a productive farm. So they produce uh, wine, olive oil, corn, and everything uh, worked in this farm. Before with the nun and after with Florence University. And now with you and Francesca. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you come up with the name Tunia for your estate? It's a really pretty name. It just rolls off your tongue. Tunia. Tunia. Okay, first of all, Tunia is an Etruscan name. Then we have to say that Arezzo and Civitella in Valdichiana uh, are Etruscan territories. Mm, the Etruscans, I think that uh, everything, everyone knows Etruscan. They are a, a, a people who lived in the central Italy before the Romans. We have to say also that uh, me and Francesca wasn't born in uh, this territory. So we decided to thank the territory that welcomed us, choosing an Etruscan name because Tunia is the name of the most important uh, god for the Etruscan. Uh, the god that uh, was, um, that take care to the fruit ripening. Very important business, very important god. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very like important. Yeah, very important work. <laughs> okay. So the vineyard is planted currently with Sangiovese, Cabernet Sauvignon, Trebbiano, Vermentino. Uh, can you tell me a bit more about the vines? Okay. Uh, so I have to say that uh, when we bought uh, Tunia, the vineyards, uh, all the plants was planted. 
The younger vineyard is the one of Cabernet Sauvignon because it was planted at the beginning of 2000. Uh, this of Cabernet Sauvignon is a very technical planting because they studied very well the soil and chose two uh, specific clone, clones of Cabernet Sauvignon in, in relationship with the kind of soil that we have in that part of the vineyard. And these uh, clones are the, have the characteristic that uh, have a very, very small production, but very big quality. Then we have a big part of Sangiovese that is the most popular uh, grape in Toscany. And uh, the vineyard of Sangiovese was planted in 1970, so it's quite old vineyard. And in this part of the vineyard, we have not only Sangiovese, but the Chianti mix. So Sangiovese, Colorino, Canaiolo and Trebbiano. Uh, then we have a very big part that is unusual, not, not usual for Tuscany because Tuscany is a land of red wines. And so they used to plant especially um, red grape. But we have a big part of the vineyard in which we have only Trebbiano. In fact, uh, people who live in the town, uh, when we started with Tunia, everyone comes, came in to, to tell us that we have to replace the Trebbiano with Sangiovese. But uh, we were determined to have also white wines, and so we preserve Trebbiano. And uh, the only thing that we did was to replace only half an hectare of Trebbiano with Vermentino because Francesca, uh, before working in Tunia, worked uh, in uh, a winery in Sardinia, and they know Vermentino very well. Uh, during our work in um, the first year in this vineyard, we understand that um, uh, the, this Trebbiano was a treasure for us, because a big part of this Trebbiano was a special kind of Trebbiano that uh, in the area uh, is called uh, pink Trebbiano, Trebbiano Rosa, yes, because when it is perfect mature, uh, the skin of the grape is pink and is uh, a wonderful variety of uh, Trebbiano uh, because uh, the, the skin is very strong and so it, uh, it works very well if you want to dry it and because it has uh, very, very big aromas, more than the normal Toscano, Trebbiano Toscano. Uh, the problem for this Trebbiano is that uh, has uh, a very, very low production. So we are the only one in the area that preserve this kind of Trebbiano because the other winemakers um, uh, replace it with the normal Trebbiano Toscano that gives more, more grape. It's so beautiful in harvest. I remember seeing it. It's really a gorgeous, like, fluffy cotton candy pink. It's lovely. Yeah. yeah. Is it part of uh, uh, Pinot Grigio? Mm. So it would have been then kept by the nuns, I imagine, for making Vincento. Yeah, 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 because uh, it worked very well when you dried, so it's perfect for Vincento. And then also good for skin contact for the wine. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah they produced Vincento, yeah, and they know about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe Vincento, the original skin contact orange wine. <laughs> um, so speaking about the area, I don't know, like, in terms of visiting you, I had never really known about Civitella before. Um, mm -hmm. Your wines are organic certified. Is your climate suitable for growing organically for uh, yes. pressure? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, we studied this for one year before um, asking for the um, certification, organic certification, because uh, we want to be sure that it could be possible to have uh, organic uh, agriculture there. Um, the answer is yes, because the soil is a very dry soil. And so also when we have a lot of rain, uh, we never have the, the water that stay on the ground. And then because the climate, the weather is, we uh, is very windy. And so it is uh, perfect to prevent uh, 
plant disease. Perfect conditions. Okay. Yeah. So is that, um, well, I guess not why, but why make minimal intervention wines? We can call them natural wines. Okay. I have to uh, say that when we started with Tunia, we don't know anything about the movement or of natural winemaker. So we decided to have a wine with uh, no chemicals only because we used to buy uh, organic vegetable or because we used to eat organic food. And so for us, it was uh, normal uh, to um, uh, make our wines without intervention, without chemicals. Uh, and then the second uh, reason is that uh, no, the, the, the result of this is that we have a wine that comes only from what we find in our vineyards. Understood. Yeah. Okay. So no, no additions into what you're making. What comes out of the soil is what you work with. Yeah. Okay. So for some of the wine styles that you make, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a real lover of skin contact maceration and your Chiaro Fiore is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, the current release is 2016. So how did you come up with this idea of making macerated skin contact uh, orange wines? What grapes are you using for this wine? Okay, yeah. first of all, we, we, we have to say that uh, in uh, Tuscany, that is not a region of white wine. Our grandfathers, when they make a white wine, uh, they used to have a skin contact. So the traditional white wine in Tuscany was a, maceration, a macerated one. Then uh, when we start working with Tunia, we decided to have natural wine. And so uh, we need to preserve the wine uh, without uh, chemicals. So we need to use the skin of the grape that are rich in these um, preservative substances, also during the vinification of white wine. And so because we, we use to, to have skin contact also for white wine. Um, and then we understood that our Trebbiano Rosa was wonderful when uh, during the maturation, because uh, uh, with uh, that big aromas that uh, this Trebbiano has, uh, gives a lot of flavor to the um, to the wine, and so we decide to have this maturation. The grape that we use are obsolete Trebbiano and uh, also Vermentino. Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. And the concept of the harvest is really unique that I haven't seen in many um, orange wines before, skin contact wines. You make mm. different passages. Uh, yes, is the result of some years of um, test. Uh, because we started with Chiarofiore at the beginning in our first harvest in 2009. But in 2009, we use only uh, Trebbiano and Vermentino with a big maturation. The wine uh, was good, but uh, for us, it was too heavy to drink. We understand that we need something that uh, could uh, uh, make the wine uh, uh, lighter. And so the, near the, the, the next year, in 2010, we decided to add a little percentage of Trebbiano that we picked uh, early. So at the end of August, when it wasn't perfect matured. So in 2010, Chiaro Fiore was made by a part of this acid Trebbiano, uh, a part of Trebbiano with maturation, and a part uh, with Vermentino with maturation. Then in, 2000 and, uh, in 2010, so we have a better wine, but it wasn't perfect for us. And so, because we think that it was a little bit poor in aromas. And so for 2011, we decided to add a part of Trebbiano dried on the plant. So we pick a part of Trebbiano 
in at the end of uh, October. We leave it, it uh, drying on the plant. Uh, so in 2011, Chiaro Fiore was made by a part of Asit Trebbiano, a part of Vermentino with maturation, a part with Trebbiano with maturation, and a part of Trebbiano dried on the plant. And this is uh, Chiaro Fiore as we could find more or less uh, in this moment. It's a very complex uh, recipe for the blend, but uh, it's very impressive the results you get out of it. Um, it's all fermented and aged in stainless steel, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah, only uh, steel tank. Yeah, uh, because these four different uh, uh, parts of Chiaro Fiore Uh, we, we vinified this part of these four parts in uh, separately in inoxine steel tank, and then we have the blend only before bottling. Got it. So only steel tank and bottle. Got it. And current vintage 2016. Okay, yeah. you also make a sparkling wine that I love that's also really amber in color Soto Fondo. Um, Soto Fondo is um, a little unique in terms of the prise de mousse to make the bubbles happen. Can you tell me a bit more about it? Uh, yes, so we have a sparkling wine. We started with this wine a little bit later, not at the beginning, some years uh, uh, after the beginning. Uh, and also for this, uh, we have some tests before. But at the moment, uh, uh, we are very, very proud of the Sottofondo. And uh, it is uh, a sparkling wine from a classical method, a um, traditional method, so like a champagne, like a spumante, so with uh, a double fermentation. The first fermentation is the fermentation of uh, a um, base of uh, acid trebbiano, uh, that is the base for all the sparkling wines, uh, at which we had a little bit of uh, trebbiano with maceration. Uh, we have a normal vinification for this part until it becomes wine. Then during the harvest, we pick a part of Trebbiano and we let it dry in the cellar in little cassettes. And in February, March, we press it and we add the juice at the first base. Everything goes in the bottle. We... Uh, we, we cover the bottle with the chrome cap and we wait and we wait because the, the juice of dried grape is very rich in sugar and in yeasts and so it starts the fermentation in the bottle. We uh, don't have the, the, the disgorgement. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, uh, because we think that uh, even if the yeasts are dead, uh, they could help us during the aging of the wine. So, because of this part of maturation in the first base, and because of we use the, ju the, the juice of dried grape for the second fermentation, the color of sottofondo is uh, so orange. So dark. So amber. Yeah, it's such a uh, different yeah. color. But the length of the the flavor on your tongue when you drink it is incredible. It's it's really, really special, sparkling. Um, and the pressure of the sparkling is quite light compared to a traditional champagne in that concept. It's a little bit yeah. um, less um, less high pressure. Um, uh, we when we think about we think about uh, we thought about Sangiovese Sottofondo. Um, we thought about a wine that could uh, pair with food and not only about the sparkling wine for aperitif or something like this. Mm, that's why we use uh, a little percentage of uh, Trebbiano with maturation also in this wine in order to have more structure, uh, in order to match this wine also with food. Oh, it's super, super interesting. And it's always vintage dated too. It's great. Um, one of the things that I, I really was impressed about your estate was the old Sangiovese. Um, yeah. And it's a very unique, for me, in terms of the, um, the rusticity of this in particular. Um, can you tell me more about the Sangiovese that you have planted? And uh, specifically the name Chiesto Buio. 
for the name okay. of the wine. Uh, Sangiovese and Chiasso Buio is our first wine. We started to make Chiasso Buio in 2008 when Tunia wasn't ours yet because the previous owner gave us uh, some grapes in order to have a test. Uh, as I said, uh, the, the vineyard of, of Sangiovese uh, is not only Sangiovese, it's Sangiovese, Colorino, Canaiolo and Trebbiano because it's uh, the mix of um, Chianti grape, the mix that uh, made Baron Ricasoli in uh, 1872, more or less, when, they, when he, uh, he imagined it. They thought about the perfect wine. Uh, we choose not to use uh, a white grape in our Chiasso Buio because we have not enough white grape uh, for make all the wines. And so we use white grape only for white wines. But now we, we hope to replace some dead plant with other plants of um, Rebbiano. Uh, in order also to have uh, Trebbiano uh, in Chiasso Buio. Then we have to say that uh, when, Chias when the vineyard of Chiasso Buio was planted, um, they, don they didn't care about the clones. And so they used uh, um, some plants that came from uh, the other vineyard in the area. So in that vineyard, we have... Uh, I think not less than uh, 20 kind of different Sangiovese. Wow. This is, yeah, this is, uh, mm, uh, we call it uh, muscle selection, I think in English, uh, selezione massale. Correct. Okay. Uh, and this is something that makes the wine very, very rich because uh, every kind of Sangiovese gives some flavor, some uh, smells, and so on. And different ripenesses uh, of your Sangiovese at the same time? Uh, no, because uh, they, they was very intelligent. And so they use a kind of grape that have a similar time of maturation. Also because in the um, method of vinification of Chianti, they used to pick all the kind of grapes together in the same moment. So they need that they was uh, ripe in the same time, more or less. Very interesting. So we have not, not, no problem of maturation. And uh, so we are very happy about this uh, uh, Sangiovese, this Chianti. Uh, we call it Chianti, but uh, um, really in Tunia we don't use appellation, no appellation for our wines. So for us this is a red wine, Vino Rosso. Uh, even if uh, Civitelli in Val di Chiana is in Chianti area. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, and Chiasso Buio, the name comes from the name of a little river that is uh, a border of our vineyard. Um, it's the only name uh, that we give to the wines that have a real uh, uh, meaning because the other names are a fantasy name. That's right. Um, I wanted to just um, talk to you a little bit about the power that these old grapes have, even if they are, have a bit of age to them, they have incredible structure and tannin. Um, your aging that you do for the wine in the tanks? Uh, yes, for uh, the red, our red wine, also for Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, we used to have uh, vinification and aging for half part of the grape in steel tank and half part of the grape in big wood tanks. Uh, so um, we have first fermentation, half and half, then uh, aging, half and half, and then the two parts uh, goes uh, together only at the moment of uh, bottling. For this wine, we need a very long aging. Um, you have to think that now we are on the market with 2013, uh, because otherwise uh, Sangiovese is a, uh, something pr problematic in the mouth, because uh, Sangiovese, the real powerful Sangiovese, yeah, <laughs> very powerful. Very, 
<laughs> has a very, very strong tendons, a very, very big acidity. And when it is young, they tendons acidity fight on your mouth and is impossible to drink. So we have to wait. We understand for our wines, for our Sangiovese, that the important is the aging in the bottle. So these wines stay two or maximum three years in the cellar and then 10 years in the bottle. So you're really doing a favor then for your consumers. They're drinking an aged Sangiovese, technically an aged Chianti already with a good amount of time. Oh, that's so special. Really, really delicious. Now, you spoke uh, yeah. about your wines being made for food pairings and how you do them with intention of something to eat. What are we eating with your wines? What is the regional cuisine or other maybe interesting pairings you can think of? Uh, okay, it's not simple because uh, Tuscany cuisine is quite uh, big. But uh, I found pink, uh, for example, for red wines, uh, we can uh, have uh, uh, pasta with, uh, for example, duck su- uh, sauce, that is a typical uh, in the land of uh, Arezzo, or game, or hoffel, something like this. Instead, for orange wines, uh, obviously cheese, uh, then uh, vegetable dishes, and also dishes based on uh, liver that are very used uh, in, uh, I think, all the Tuscany. I think the pairing I remember the most, Kira, is when you took me to that restaurant on top of uh-huh. the medieval village of the, the Val de Chiana in Civitella. Mm-hmm. And I had the best burger of my life. It was made from the <laughs> local cow, yeah. from the Chianina cow. It was incredible. Yeah, because uh, Val di Chiana is the land of Chianina. And this uh, is incredible. Yeah, with your side. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, you spoke about future projects that you have planned, maybe for doing some replantation. Um, you also recently added a Contrapunto cuvee into the mix. Um, what are some yeah. of the, the plans you have maybe coming up for future projects? Uh, yeah, well, uh, we need absolutely to increase the number of plants of uh, white grape, uh, especially Trebbiano. We start uh, and we have to go on with this project uh, because we have a very, very big problem with the uh, wild animal because uh, they enter into the um, vineyard and they eat the little plant that we are planted and so every year we plant uh, 5,000 plants and they hit uh, 2,000. And so every year, a lot of money. Start again. <laughs> yeah, this is a big problem also because uh, uh, the law um, doesn't allow us to put very, very high fence but also uh, small fence, and so we take away the I don't know the name, the wild uh, pig. The wild boar. Okay, but we um, can't do nothing with the um, Bambi. Yeah, with the deer. That's right, Bambi. The deer. (laughs) And they eat more the the little plants than the um, grape. And so we have this big problem because our vineyards are quite old and so a lot of plants are died. And uh, for this reason, we, we need to replace some of them, but uh, we, we can't. <laughs> we try, but uh, it is a very difficult uh, war with them. Mm. Um, we w- would like to reach, uh, I think, uh, 30,000 bottles. So increase a little bit our production. At the moment, uh, we are around 25,000 bottles. But we don't want to um, increase more than than uh, 30,000 bottles because uh, we want to have the control. We want to keep uh, on having control on the production. And uh, we can't increase uh, the number of bottles because uh, we are only two. And so uh, we don't, we can't uh, have the vinification of more than that bottle. How, how many people are on your team during harvest? Uh, very, a very small number of people, not more than 
six, seven people because uh, we every day we don't pick a lot of uh, grape. We have only uh, one uh, one tractor of grape. And then we go to the cellar and immediately we have the vinification. And we need that people understand the kind of grape that they have to pick because uh, we make a big choice during the harvest. We take uh, with us only the perfect grape. And so uh, we call to the harvest, for the harvest, only people that uh, worked with us since some, uh, some years. Uh, this because when you decide to work in a natural way, and so you decide not to add chemicals and so not to adjust the wine in a second moment, you need perfect grape. It's the only way to have a good natural wine. Good grapes to make great wine, of course. Yeah. Um, how long does your harvest last? Just one last question. Uh, this is a very difficult question. Because, uh, <laughs> usually, for us, it's a very long harvest because we start in August with the first part of Trebbiano and we end in November, at the end of October, with the overmatured Trebbiano. Last year, with this climate that is probably crazy at the moment, all the harvest finished before the end of September. So wow. a very short harvest. We work every day. We was destroyed, uh, but we don't know if uh, the the rhythm will be this one next in September or uh, we come back to the normal rhythm. We don't know. Wow, crazy! Our normal harvest are very long. Yeah, I think you have the award for some of the <laughs> longest harvests I've heard of in. Uh... In Europe, uh, I haven't had a harvest that long since Australia, even from when I was in Canada doing winemaking. Oh. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you. Um, Thank you. The discussion with you is always a pleasure to learn more about your yeah. little area and uh, the really secret, um, I don't know, special zone of Chivatella. Thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting invite me to this conversation. It was really great. Stevie, did you have anything else to add to the chat today? Okay, very good. Thank you so much for both of you for this uh, lovely discussions. I'm going to bring on um, Laika and Joy. Joy actually has COVID today. Hey, Joy. Joy, are you alive? Joy has COVID. Hey, Joy, she went home sick yesterday. And then um, she here. just... Oh, my God, you sound really terrible. It's okay. It's all good. I'm listening. Sorry. Are, are, are you okay? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. You're not that convincing, but okay. I'm going to let you go. So Joy, is, I just wanted to give a shout out to Joy, who's our, um, of course, our Italian wine podcast producer, who's been doing a wonderful job. And what about you, Laika? Laika, are you on? Hello, Laika. Everybody has COVID, Stevie. <laughs> no, I think she's on a train or something. Listen, I I, I I was a little bit annoying. Everyone are sleeping is sleeping. No, 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 not at all. I think listen, Joy actually never shuts up. So it's only because she's very, very, very sick, you know. And Laika, I don't know um, what's going on, Laika. But Kiara, listen, for person like who is unfamiliar with your wine, what are like the in terms of um, tasting profiles, what are the what are the things that they should look for in in your particular wines? Is there any like what is your signature wine for for first of all? Okay, uh, probably some years ago I had said uh, Chiaro Fiore, but now Sottofondo is. Uh, is taking a good way. So probably we can say the orange wine because uh, they say that they are orange wine that are, that only Tunia makes this kind of orange wine. is a sort of, uh, I say it in Italy, Marchio di Fabbrica. 
they uh, recognize uh, always, uh, also when uh, they have uh, a blind taste, uh, that uh, mm, about what kind, of, what wine they are tasting, chiaro fiore and sottofondo. And so, how how many labels do you have? Uh, so we have these two orange wine, then we have three red wine, uh, one Chiasso Buio, the other one is one from Cabernet Sauvignon, Wadran 100%, that is Canto Moro. And then there is another red, uh, Contrappunto, that is a blend between uh, Sangiovese and Cabernet Sauvignon, is the new entry, uh, because we have it uh, since 2018. And um, is uh, a red a little bit easier to drink, uh, light, uh, and uh, with not so big uh, aging. Uh, is something that could be drink during the summer that you could refrigerate and something like this. And then we have a sweet wine, uh, a, Vinsan, a sort of Vinsanto um, from Tre Dryad Trebbiano. And what is the, can you give us a little bit of a, an idea in terms of your uh, volume of production? How many bottles do you produce? Uh, in total? Yes, in total. 25,000 bottles, not more, even if we have 15 hectares of um, vineyard. So we have a very, very small production. We have uh, uh, 30 uh, quintali. I don't know, uh, 300 kilos of um, grapes per hectare. It's a very, very low production because the vineyard was old and because also the new one, the Cabernet Sauvignon, the vineyard of Cabernet Sauvignon is a specific clone with a very slow product, low production. And so we have 25 bottles with 15 hectares when in a modern system of planting you could have uh, with uh, seven hectares probably and and your wine is um i mean would you classify your wine as a a natural wine uh, no could you repeat please would you consider your wine um, production to be natural like are your wines natural wines yeah uh, mm, uh, absolutely natural wine because we don't add nothing to the wine only if it is necess necessary a little bit of sulfates but only if it is necessary uh, we are uh, learning to do these wines and every year uh, we uh, decrease the quantity of sulfites and uh, at the moment uh, we have uh, uh, four wines on six without sulfites at all so how um when how does the um the winery visits um work do they call in advance how can they yeah. come and visit the winery that's my question okay um we don't use to make a lot of winery visits or wine testing and so we are not open every day because we are only two and we have not enough energy to make everything. So I ask everyone to call me before, um, before comes, before come and uh, then take, um, take an appointment and we were very, we will be very, very happy to have you and everyone in the cellar but only with uh, an appointment because uh, often we are not uh, in the testing room, we are in the vineyard, we are in the cellar. And so uh, sometimes uh, uh, happen that someone call me and they say, oh, I'm here, I would like to taste your wine. So this is a problem because I'm in Parma because I have a wine fair and no one is there. And so uh, for everyone, they have to call me before. And how many people work in your winery? Like there's yourself and then um, who, who else? How many other people work in the company? Uh, we have normally me and Francesca that uh, are in charge of uh, all the administrative uh, commercial marketing for me and Francesca for the production. So the vineyard and the cellar. Then we have uh, three uh, men that are 
help us in the work in the vineyard and on the tractor. Okay. So in total, we are five. Right. During the harvest, a little bit more. Right. So it's a very skinny, skinny staff. And um, <laughs> yeah. you're a small yeah. company, because, so uh, people need to call you in advance to make appointments. Yeah. Yeah. So how how because, would they uh, how would how would they get in touch with you, Chiara? Uh, there is a um, website. There is can, can a, you repeat um, to us your website? Um, www.tunia.it. Okay, tunia.it. And there are all the yes. information available on the website. Great. Well, listen. And then I... also on Facebook, uh, the page Tunia Wines, uh, or the page of uh, my personal page, Chiara Innocenti. Great. Thank you so much. And this, I love the Ambassadors Corner because I get a chance to meet and listen to um, producers with whom I've never met. So I very much looking. I look forward to tasting your wine sometime in the near future with Ellen and. Um, Fanny and yourself, and hopefully get a chance to visit sometime. Thank you so much, Chiara, and ciao, Ellen. Ciao, Stevie. Ciao, Chiara. Ciao, everybody. Thank you. Okay, so I'm ciao going to close up the room. All right. Ciao, ragazzi. Thanks for listening to this episode of Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitaly Academy, home of the gold standard of Italian wine education. Do you want to be the next ambassador? Apply online at vinitaliinternational.com for courses in London, Austria, and Hong Kong, the 27th to the 29th of July. Remember to subscribe and like Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find our entire back catalog of episodes at italianwinepodcast.com. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.